0: Welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers with your hosts, Dr. Anise Chagpar, Susan Higgins, and Stephen Gore. Dr. Chagpar is Associate Professor of Surgical Oncology and Director of the Breast Center at Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. Dr. Higgins is Professor of Therapeutic Radiology and of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Sciences. And Dr. Gore is Director of Hematological Malignancies at Smilo and an expert on myelodysplastic syndromes. Yale Cancer Center Answers features weekly conversations about the research, diagnosis, and treatment of cancer. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you can submit questions and comments to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-888. 2344YCC. This week it's a conversation about immunobiology and hematopoiesis with Dr. Joao Pereira. Dr. Pereira is assistant professor of immunobiology at Yale School of Medicine, and here's Dr. Anise Chagpar. So
1: maybe you could start off by telling us what exactly immunobiology and hematopoiesis is.
2: Um, immunobiology is. Um the study of the cells of the immune system and how these cells uh, act to perform their their jobs, basically. The immune system is involved in making sure that we can defend ourselves from microbial pathogens like bacteria, viruses, parasites, fungi, and so on. And But it's also um, fundamentally important to make sure that we... Um, eliminate cells in our own body that are not performing adequately, for example, like cancer cells. So the immune system has not just the job of fighting uh, infectious diseases, but also a sort of a housekeeping function of keeping us uh, somewhat healthy.
1: So, you know, there's been a lot of talk, especially recently, about immunotherapy uh, Mm -hmm. in terms of cancer. Tell us a bit more about how that works. I mean, if the immune system really could fight off cancer cells, then nobody would get cancer, right?
2: Yes, that's that's a very good point. So for many, for several decades, uh, cancer research has been focused on figuring out what kinds of mutations lead to cancer. What, what are the errors that happen in a cell that Make T cell become uh, um, a cancer cell, and uh, and that research has been extremely important. But for several, for some decades now, immunog- immunologists or uh, folks interested in studying the immune system have realized that cancer cells are themselves capable of uh, activating the immune system. So. Um, with that discovery it became clear that the immune system has a a role in eliminating cancer cells in a natural manner so in any healthy individual any normal individual uh, genetic errors are constantly happening and occasionally rarely these errors lead to the generation of a cancer cell but In healthy uh, individuals, that cancer cell is eliminated by the immune system such that we don't feel anything, or even if you are going through routine uh, medical exams, they don't show up in your medical exam. So they are so rare events that you can't really find them. So the immune system does a pretty effective job most of the times. Now, cancer immunotherapy is pretty much as immunologists, becoming aware of how the immune system works and trying to use the weapons the immune system uses normally to fight cancers that are developing in uh, patients that for one reason or another, the immune system was not capable of eliminating that cancer cell.
1: So do we know, do we know why in some people the immune system doesn't fight off these cancers? Is it, is it a factor of the patient um, not having a robust enough immune system, uh, somebody who, say, is immunocompromised, or is it a factor of the cancer tricking the immune system and not letting the immune system do its job in eliminating it?
2: It's both. So in immune deficient patients, certainly cancers have a higher propensity to, to develop, But also in uh, in individuals with a normal immune system, cancer cells acquire, uh, some cancer cells acquire properties that allow them to evade the immune system. So in those kinds of circumstances where the cancer cell has a turn-off button to avoid immune recognition and uh, immune-mediated attack, then we can develop strategies to Turn the off bot off button off, basically. So, so that's, that's 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 the essence of cancer immunotherapy. Basically, is to uh, devise the immune system of the patient to more effectively uh, reach out to the cancer cell and eliminate it directly.
1: Yeah, kind of taking off the invisible cloak.
2: Yes, so there's there's some strategies that cancer cells use. That's one of them. The invisible cloth, that would be one. The other, the other is an active process where it really turns the wrong button in the immune cell. And the wrong, by wrong, I mean the button that tells the immune cell to turn itself off. So immune cells, they have to be able to be turned on to attack, let's say, a microbe that is infecting us, but they also have to be able to be turned off such that the immune cell will not cause more damage than what's necessary for, for, for the for the individual. And the, the turn on and the turn off mechanisms of immune cell regulation are somewhat known. And so uh, cancer cells, some cancer cells uh, have, the capacity to produce proteins that pretty much turn on the 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 inhibitory uh, uh, function of the immune cell, mm. and then the immune cell is is facing the cancer cell, but just can't do its job. So,
1: because the cancer cell turned it off.
2: Yes, it, it turned the inhibitory uh, molecule in in the immune system to to switch itself off, basically.
1: Hmm. Very interesting. So, in, in the introduction, I said that um, you uh, were here to talk about both immunobiology and hematopoiesis. So, what's hematopoiesis?
2: So, hematopoiesis emet- is the process that generates all blood cells. So, the cells that are run through our veins in our blood system can be sort of separated into two types, very simple, the red cells and the white cells. And the red cells, as probably everybody knows, are the cells that carry oxygen. They don't uh, perform very, uh, um, they're not notoriously known for performing any type of immune defense, but uh, they they, pl- they play a vital role in the organ of carrying oxygen, obviously. The, and it also produces white blood, uh, white blood cells. And white blood cells can be of various types. There's far too many types of, of blood cells for me to to continue counting them, but there's definitely dozens of them. And uh, white blood cells uh, can be of uh, myeloid origin, cells that w- directly kill pathogens uh, like macrophages, neutrophils, um, and also lymphocytes. And lymphocytes are critical. These uh, These are the cells that have the memory that can actually remember that they have seen this microbe before. And so these are the cells that are often targeted in vaccination, for example. Uh, uh, v- vaccination is basically trying to educate the body to, r- to, to recognize and destroy a virus or a bacteria, and that acts primarily on these lymphocytes. So hematopoiesis is the process that generates all of these blood cells.
1: So tell us a little bit more about how the two fields are connected.
2: So <clears throat> some uh, the two fields, by that you mean hematopoiesis, hematopoiesis and, and, immunobiology. and immunobiology. So hematopoiesis is the process that generates the immune system. The blood cells, white blood cells, are the cells that form the immune system. Um, so they are obviously interconnected, um,
1: Tell us a little bit more about the research that you've been doing.
2: So the research we're doing in my lab at Yale is focused on understanding how uh, hematopoiesis is controlled. We know that all blood cells are formed from a single hematopoietic stem cell, a cell that is capable of differentiating into all blood cell types. But um, we don't really understand how uh, an hematopoietic stem cell decides to become a red cell or a white cell. And that is the primary focus of research in my lab. We really want to know uh, what are the the factors that allow these decisions to occur in the body, and can the cell do this process alone? Would it be able to do anywhere, or does it need a specific environment, a specific neighborhood? Does it require a a particular neighbor on the side to help make this decision? Uh, And if so, do do they have to go through different neighborhoods to give rise to all blood cell types? Is there a red cell neighborhood and a white cell neighborhood, and so on and so forth? So that is the primary goal of our research.
1: Why is that important? I mean, you would think that, you know, if a stem cell uh, needs to differentiate um, that it it, hopefully uh, they differentiate into some of them become red cells and some of them become white cells because clearly we need both, but why is it important to understand what are the factors that goes into that decision?
2: So it's important at multiple levels. So in a very practical, uh, at a very practical level, as we age as individuals, there are changes that occur in hematopoiesis that make us less capable of producing for example lymphocytes and lymphocytes are extremely important and we need to keep producing them constantly throughout life as much as possible because these are the cells that let us have memory against uh, microbes and other entities that we've faced before so if we stop producing these cells we run the risk of not being able to Remember new uh, uh, pathogens that we've encountered. So in a globalized world, that's certainly, impossible, uh, that's certainly important because we're constantly uh, traveling overseas and so on. So we're constantly exposing to new uh, uh, environmental factors that 50 or 100 years ago that wouldn't be such of a problem, but currently it is. So it really is important to understand how cells make decisions, at least to a certain level, so that hopefully we can uh, correct some of these uh, shifts that occur throughout life as we get old we make less lymphocytes can we stop that and make an individual produce the normal balanced uh, proportion of uh, of blood cells constantly throughout life that's certainly one aspect the other aspect is uh, uh, hematopoiesis is, is a pretty complex process it starts with a single cell that generates you know trillions of cells daily and A trillion cell is probably a too large number for people to really grasp, but uh, it's certainly a process that generates many chances of developing uh, uh, errors, genetic errors in cells, and so cancer cells. So if we understand how the process is controlled normally, we're definitely better equipped to understand when a cancer develops, a blood cancer develops, for example, and the more we know how it forms, the better we may be at uh, correcting that mistake or at eventually treating or curing that that problem. So
1: So when you talk about, you know, I, I certainly can understand how if you've got a single cell that then makes trillions of cells every day, that the rate at which it's making those cells is incredible. And so it's clearly possible that errors occur. So what mechanisms are there in your body already that prevent you from accumulating these errors?
2: So um, there are multiple checkpoints, so stages at which cells can be, uh, let's say, analyzed for uh, fitness and for um, um, any abnormality that might have occurred so and all cells have a certain internal program to uh, uh, to die on their own in case some of these errors happen so the 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 the, the, le- the types of errors that occur that lead to the actual production of a cancer usually is um, associated with failure at multiple levels. So you know, it's almost, it's kind of similar to if an airplane falls, it's not because one single uh, uh, problem occurred, but mostly because a multiple series sequence of problems actually occurred, and that's the combination that resulted in that. So uh, cancer is, can also be seen in this way, I guess.
1: Well, we're going to look more at how cancers develop and how this whole intersection between cancer and immunobiology works right after we take a short break for a medical minute.
0: Smoking can be a very strong habit that involves the potent drug nicotine and there are many obstacles to face when quitting smoking. But smoking cessation is a very important lifestyle change, especially for patients undergoing cancer treatment. Quitting smoking has been shown to positively impact response to treatments and to decrease the likelihood that patients will develop second malignancies. Smoking cessation programs are currently being offered at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers such as Yale Cancer Center and at Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. The smoking cessation service at Smilo operates on the principles of the U.S. Public Health Service clinical practice guidelines. All treatment components are evidence-based, and therefore all patients are treated with FDA-approved first-line medications and smoking cessation counseling. This has been a Medical Minute, brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. For more information, go to YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.
1: Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Joan Pereira. We're talking about immunobiology and hematopoiesis. It's not every day that we talk about blood cells and cancer in the same show, but I wanna get back to the link. Uh, between all of these concepts. We talked a little bit before the break about immunotherapy, but are there other ways in which cancers and this whole hematopoietic system are intertwined?
2: Yes. I mean, there's certainly, there's about, I would say, three levels at which cancer and hematopoiesis are interconnected. The first level is, uh, as uh, we've discussed, there's some uh, blood cells that can give rise to cancer so leukemias and lymphomas for example are certain are are types of cancers that uh, originate from uh, that are hematopoietic of origin so they they are cancers of the hematopoietic system Uh, the second level is cancers uh, cancer cells that are not of hematopoietic origin Uh, as we discussed, are recognized by uh, cells of the hematopoietic system, the immune system cells. So that's uh, the the second level. But the third level is some cancers like uh, lung cancer, breast cancer, uh, prostate cancer, have the capacity to uh, migrate out of where they were originally formed and colonize distant organs. So those are known as metastasis. And the, the organ where hematopoiesis is occurring is the bone marrow and bone is one of the preferred sites for cancer metastasis. For example, even prostate cancers have a high, it's one of the primary if not the only place where uh, prostate cancer cells metastasize is into the bone. So there's something about that environment that uh, sustains the production of all blood cell types that is also a uh, um, very appealing for a cancer cell to to thrive, basically. It, it provides an environment that sustains uh, some types of cancer cells. So that would be the third level of...
1: So So that's very interesting to me, because a lot of your blood cells come from your bone marrow. But there's also other organs that are hematopoietic, right, or that have a connection to the hematopoietic system, like your spleen. But I don't really hear too much about cancer cells going to the spleen. What's the difference?
2: That's a that's a really good question. So, um, the spleen and the liver, they um, are they, they're not hematopoietic organs, although they. Um, once upon a time were. So during embryonic development, some hematopoiesis comes from the liver, from the fetal liver, and from the fetal spleen. But in adults, uh, humans, mammals in general, those organs don't support uh, hematopoiesis for the most part. Now, uh, how do cells decide to go to the bone marrow instead of going to the spleen or to other organs. It has to do with what the cancer cell uh, acquired as a property. So cancer cells can can, uh, uh, produce proteins that allow the cell to migrate, to physically move from one organ to the other. And some of these cancers we've discussed, breast cancer, lung cancer, prostate cancer cells, uh, can produce a, a protein that recognizes um, um, another protein that is abundant in the marrow that attracts the cells there. Mm. And this is more prevalent in the marrow than in other organs. And so by by basically, the bone marrow has a certain zip code for which the cancer cells can actually uh, be directed to. And that's what I think partitions uh, metastasis to some organs versus not another organ.
1: So what is the deal with this protein that's in the bone marrow that attracts these cancer cells?
2: The deal is it's it's a protein that is part of a large family of proteins that help distribute immune cells throughout the body into appropriate locations. For example, in the gut, we have um, trillions of bacteria. And so there are immune cells that are poised in the gut to make sure that the bacteria that is inside the gut doesn't go outside the gut and starts causing damage in the body. And so the, the, how do the cells go to the gut instead of going to other organs has to do with these zip codes, the uh, collection of proteins and and, and and molecules that help the cell uh, decide to stay in the gut and not to go into the spleen, for example. And so the same general property is applicable to the to the bone marrow. Uh, this is a family of proteins that contains dozens, uh, uh, dozens of proteins, so you can imagine dozens of zip codes basically and bone marrow has a particular zip code
1: and so but what is it about that zip code i mean you know is it like the wealthiest zip code that all of the cells want to go to i mean there's got to be something that says come to the bone marrow and i wonder whether that's related to how all of these immune cells actually develop since That's their home turf. Yeah,
2: that's a great connection. You're 100% right. So the zip code that makes cancer cells go to the marrow is the same zip code of hematopoietic cells used to actually develop in the bone marrow. So in essence, it's it's just um, a a collection of proteins and molecules that help the immune cells to stay in their appropriate locations.
1: And so so we don't know why it is that these cancer cells are attracted to that particular zip code?
2: Well, during, uh, during the process of cancer cell development, when, when cells acquire genetic errors, uh, they acquire, they, they carry a certain genomic instability that can result in abnormal production of proteins that they would normally not produce in such high amounts Mm -hmm. and also can result in the acquisition of properties the cells never had before. For example, the capacity to actually move from one place to the other. Many, Many cancer cells are not cells known to be motile, to be capable of migrating from one place to the other. And the transformation process of uh, enable the cell the ability to actually move. That ability is the simple acquisition of uh, uh, proteins that help the cell to read zip codes. And Mm. so now the cell can read a different zip code and so it goes there.
1: Mm. Interesting, so if we could turn off this migratory zip code reader we could potentially do something about metastases
2: that's certainly um, a very appealing um, strategy and it's being attempted uh, although there is a considerable amount of redundancy in, in th- this zip coding system mm-hmm. of our body that makes it not um, not the most attractive strategy so far but it certainly it would be fantastic if we could uh, instruct cancer cells to go to the wrong zip code basically and
1: or and not to go to any zip yeah, code
2: yeah that it certainly yeah
1: yeah So let's get back to a different layer that you were talking about, too, because I I like the concept of the many different layers where the immune system and cancer intersect. And the second one that you had, had mentioned was the way that cancer cells develop actually from the immune system. And so this takes me back to our original conversation before the break, where you were talking about how all all of your blood cells essentially come from a stem cell and as this you know universal stem cell decides which way it's going to go and produces all of these other cells um, that that can then cause errors to form so When you started talking about how does a cancer cell, or how does a a hematopoietic cell decide whether it's going to be a red cell or a white cell, is there some mechanism by which that gets screwed up so that then it doesn't turn into either of those but turns into a cancer cell? Or does that not work that way?
2: Um, That's another very interesting question. Um, There are problems with hematopoietic decisions of becoming a red or a white cell that are known uh, to be caused by uh, the inability of the stem cell to produce um, a protein that helps the formation of a red cell. So in that case, the stem cell will not make the red cell, but it could in theory make the other cells. And I say in theory because if a stem cell cannot generate a red a red cell, then the organism doesn't really develop, so we're not, it doesn't even develop basically, so it's almost a problem that doesn't exist. (laughs) Um, But um, genetic errors are caused mostly by the fact that cells are constantly dividing. And in the hematopoietic system, from the hematopoietic stem cell all the way to the generation of billions of cells, there are multiple uh, checkpoints when the cells are constantly dividing. And when they divide, they have to basically duplicate their entire DNA. Obviously, even the highest efficiency uh, enzyme capable of duplicating the DNA is not a hundred percent efficient and so errors are constantly introduced and so uh, if the error occurs in the wrong gene in the wrong place then a cancer cell could be uh, forming but it's not only that that needs to occur it's the failure of subsequent steps the inability of the cell to correct the error that was introduced, that's the second level of regulation that our cells have. The 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 enzyme may be writing the wrong code. But we have other enzymes that correct for the wrong code. And it's, so it's a failure of all of these multiple checkpoints that results in, in, in the cancer cell. Now, th- whether a stem cell that is unable to go either left to the red or right to the white blood cell type now only has the option of becoming a cancer cell, uh, I don't think that's exactly how it works.
1: So it's more likely that it it differentiates into one of the, the different types. And then from there, as it generates errors, if it's a white blood cell and it generates a bunch of errors, it then turns into a white blood cell type of cancer.
2: That's correct. That's exactly correct, yes.
1: And so it clearly made it through to being a white blood cell without errors, but as it divides further, then the errors continue. And so somehow this QA process uh, of quality assurance and double checking uh, gets fouled up down the line? Uh,
2: there are multiple stages where this could happen, yes, yes.
1: So it brings us back to to what you're doing in the lab, which seems to be really fundamental basic science, understanding how uh, a stem cell decides is it going to be a red cell or is it going to be a white cell um, how does that affect you know cancer biologists and and physicians um, tell us more about that and the importance of basic science
2: yes that's that's certainly a very uh, important uh, discussion point that uh, could could fill in hours of conversation, obviously, but um, so in any human human disease, cancer, uh, autoimmunity, any. Um, there are obviously um, uh, people interested in researching directly what is causing a certain problem. Um, and that research is fundamental. And one can catalog it as translational research if it has the clear role of defining a novel way to treat the disease or to test a new compound to to, to treat the disease. But uh, basic science is not uh, defined in these ways, basic science is almost uh, unbiased and guided in the sense that it it hasn't it does not have permanent in the mind that there is a clear medical problem to be solved. Yet the importance of basic science is enormous. Um, um, several decades ago, several people were interested in studying how bacteria produce protein. The knowledge. That came from that research, that has obviously no clear connection with human diseases, uh, made it possible for uh, for for uh, insulin, for example, to be produced in uh, copious amounts these days, and that is being treated, uh, being used to treat many uh, patients with diabetes. But in the 50s, if you'd ask any of those researchers if their research could have a, a direct impact in diabetes, I would say probably none of them would think that would be the case. But Um, I hope this illustrates how basic science is so important.
0: Dr. Joao Pereira is Assistant Professor of Immunobiology at Yale School of Medicine. We invite you to share your questions and comments. You can send them to Yale.edu or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. And as an additional resource, archived programs are available in both audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We'd like to thank the Yale Cancer Center for providing production support for this program. And we'd also like to thank Renee Gaudette, Emily Fenton, and the staff of the Yale Broadcast and Media Center. I'm Bruce Barber, hoping you'll join us again next Sunday evening at 6 for another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.